Do you remember the first time that you ever drove a car by yourself? I think back to when I first drove a car by myself. I had been riding, of course, with mom and dad with my learner's permit for years. And then finally I had my own license and I was able to finally take that first time by myself at the wheel of a car with no one else in the car. And I remember exactly where I was going. I was heading to a youth event at our church. And from our house to the church was probably about 10 miles. And I had been down this road for years. I had driven down the road with one of my parents with my learner's permit. But this time was different. This time I was behind the wheel by myself and I was going to the youth event and I was behind the wheel of the car and I kid you not, I could not remember how to get to the church. I freaked out. I seized up. I took wrong turns. I thought, where am I going? What is happening? I know the church is somewhere in this town and I'm going to find it. And finally, after taking a few wrong turns, I ended up at the church and I was so relieved that I finally made it alive. It was just terrifying to think about doing this by myself. I had done this countless times before both being a passenger and as being a student driver, but now it was my turn. And man, I was limited. I was free, but I was limited because of fear. Fear is what caused me to think differently about something that I should have been fairly confident to do. Fear kept me from really fully engaging in what I was doing because I was so concerned about what all was going on and all of those fears. Because limitations and fear, are, are, they go hand in hand. The limitations in our life are created by fear and everyone has limitations because everyone is afraid of something. And some of those fears are healthy fears, and some of those fears are very unhealthy. That's the thing that drives us to put on a seatbelt is a healthy fear that we would go, well, I want to be cautious, I want to be safe, or the thing that would cause us to put on a helmet when we ride a motorcycle or a bicycle or something like that. Those things are precautions that we take because we're living life understanding that there is a risk to this activity, and so I'm going to limit myself on purpose. But then there's those unhealthy limitations. There's those unhealthy fears. Those things where maybe in life you tried something before and it didn't go so well, so you're afraid to do it again. Like maybe you messed up the chicken and you don't ever want to cook chicken again because you messed it up that one time and it's just best if you don't maybe try it again. But you never try, so you never grow. There's a cap. There's a limit in place. Or maybe there's something that someone told you in your life that you were never going to be good at or something you were never going to be able to do, and their words actually set a limit. Maybe that's the fear of the unknown. Maybe if I step out and do this, what's going to happen? What are people going to think? Those types of situations create limits and barriers, and the same thing happens in our worship of Jesus Christ. And when I say worship, yes, we can talk about singing songs in church collectively. That's a part of worship, although it's not worship totally. But our, limit, our, our limits can be created in worship because we're afraid of what if we fail? What if we mess up? What if God doesn't like us? What if God is displeased with us? What if we don't do it right? What are others going to think? What if I mess all of this up? And all of these fears create limits 
in the way that we worship Christ. But I believe that through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God today, that we can understand and live a life of fearless worship. So that's what I want us to talk about today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go to Romans chapter 12, and let's look at verse 1. Let's look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, a very uh, familiar passage for those of you who have been attending Word of Grace for some time because I love Romans and I love Romans 12. But the Apostle Paul writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, there are other translations that exchange that word worship for the word service. Does anyone have a translation that says service, perhaps? Um, but you will see those words interchanged because the idea here is not just singing corporately with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but he's talking about worship being connected to sacrifice and how worship is a daily response to the gospel. And it's us presenting our lives joyfully, willingly as a sacrifice to God. You see how Paul uh, tries to connect these two ideas of in light of the mercy of God and then the sacrifice as the response. And that sacrifice being the worship. What is that sacrifice? It's your very life. It's a daily, living, breathing sacrifice. You and I are called to be that in light of what God has done for us. It is worship to God. And God doesn't want there to be limits on what we're willing to sacrifice in order to trust Him, love Him, and serve Him. Amen? He wants us to take all the limits off. And there shouldn't be limits, but those limits are there because of fear. And the enemy loves to use that as a tactic to try to keep you from truly loving God and serving God the way that you were created to. And so we want to make sure that we are able to express that love with that, that passion and that freedom that God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. We should experience this. We should live this in light of the mercies of God. My family and I really enjoy going to the Wisconsin Dells, to the water parks there. And we have a little tradition where every year uh, around Christmas time, we always take a little two or three day thing and we like to go to the wilderness and we stay there for uh, just two or three days and enjoy the water parks. And uh, I have a little thing that I do with the kids when we get on one of those family water slides or one of those things where uh, multiple people can be on. Uh, I always like scream. Like, I'm not talking about like your average scream. I'm not talking about your, your rookie scream or even your, you know, your, your schoolyard girl scream. I'm talking about like this is professional quality, like high quality, everything, deep gut scream. And when we get on there, I'm not really afraid, but man, I, I'm just there uh, making my kids have a good time because I want to either embarrass them or I want to encourage them. One of the two, I don't really care which it accomplishes, but when we start going down the slide, I scream, and I'm not going to do it here for you because it would probably burst your eardrums and people online would disconnect. Um, but it goes something like, And I just scream as loud as I possibly can. And it's gone to the point to where my girls, before we go down the slide, my girls will look at me and they'll go, Dad, are you going to scream? And my son's like, Dad, 
Are you going to scream? <laughs> Which makes me want to do it more. Because my son doesn't want me to do it. I don't care what anybody thinks about me in that moment. All the limits are taken off. All I'm concerned about is having a good time with my kids. That's all I'm concerned about in that moment. And I think that when we truly are just, just in awe of God, when we're in awe of the gospel, when we understand in light of the mercies of God how beautiful He is, what He's done for us, Man, the limits are off and we're willing to express ourselves without any hindrances because we don't care. It's all about Him. We're worshiping at that point for an audience of one. And our, our delight is in pleasing God and in, and, and in loving Him and, and showing our love to Him and the restraints and the fears and all the things that the enemy would want to keep us bound and keep us quiet are removed because he is our focus. Just like when we go on vacation, man, just my kids there are my focus. And, and, and it's so much fun to do that. And I think that God wants us to be joyful in the sacrifice. Amen? It's not one of these sacrifices where, you know, it's this drudge where we're, oh, I got I to gotta be a living sacrifice for, for Jesus. Oh, yeah. It's not one of these things where it should, it should be this, this, this task-driven, heavy burden. Jesus said, take up my yoke upon you. My, my yoke's easy. My, my burden's light. There's supposed to be a joy in the journey of following Jesus. Amen? You should have a joy of following Jesus even through the difficulties, even through the challenges, even through the things that may be hard. There should still be a joy knowing that my eternity is set and fixed because I am a child of the King and He has made me new. He has changed me. And because of that, I can go, I can enjoy the journey even in the difficulty. It does, may not mean I'm always happy, but I can always have joy. I can, I'm not always getting everything I want, but I can always have joy. I can always have peace even though I may at times be afraid. I can still have peace because my hope is anchored in the gospel and my response is to live for him daily and express that. Folks, how we express awe and gratitude towards God may be different, but it should always be without limits and fear. It shouldn't be something that's hindered because we're concerned about what others think about us. It shouldn't be something that we uh, have, have uh, all these limitations in place because of maybe bad experiences. The enemy would love for nothing more than to take all your bad experiences and create all these roadblocks and barriers. The enemy would love for nothing more to whisper in your ear and go, no one's going to like you. You know what everyone's going to say about you? You know what everyone's going to do now? You know what all uh, is going to happen? You know what people are going to say? You know what people are going to do? When you are truly able to live that limitless uh, worship to Him, that fearless worship. It is, comes from a deep place of awe. It comes from a deep place of gratitude. Let's go over to 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to look at uh, a, an expression of worship here by King David in 2 Samuel chapter 6. While you're turning, I'll give you just a little bit of background of kind of what's going on here. David's the king, and the Philistines were the army that they were fighting. And they had been fighting them on and off for some time. And God had given 
the Israelites, which David was leading as king, gave them victory over the Philistine army. Now, the Philistines had captured something that was very important to the Israelites, and the uh, Israelites wanted it back. And that was what's called the Ark of the Covenant. How many of you guys have ever seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Indiana Jones movie? Well, it's that thing, but not that thing, okay? So, this, this box was something that God instructed Moses to create all the way back um, in the book of Exodus. You can see how God had created, uh, or had instructed them rather, to build this thing. It was, it was covered in gold, it was to be holy, and it was to be carried on poles. It couldn't even be touched by human hands. If someone tried to touch it, they would die. As a matter of fact, uh, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, there's a guy that actually reached out to try to touch it just to steady it because uh, like the cart it was being carried in hit a bump and, and it would look like it was going to fall out and he just wanted to help and steady it. And the guy touched it and he died just from, just from touching it. This is a holy, holy item. And so the reason it was holy is because they would take this Ark of the Covenant and they would place it in the tabernacle, and they would place it in uh, this place called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, there was, a, there was a big veil that kept this box from the people because where that box was dwelt the very presence of God. And the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year to offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. And he would sprinkle the blood on what was called the mercy seat of that box of the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat was the place that was on the top, the lid of the box where two angels' wings almost touched, and he would sprinkle that blood as atonement for the sins of the people. So this was a very, very holy thing, and for this thing to come back represented the presence of God returning to Israel. And so as David and his armies had defeated the Philistines, they're bringing back the Ark of the covenant and the presence of God is, is coming back to Israel is what this represents. And wherever the ark was, man, those people were blessed. And so people wanted this item because there is blessing attached to the presence of God. And so they wanted this, this blessing and, 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 and they wanted God. And so they were able to be able uh, to overtake the Philistines and bring back um, the Ark of the Covenant. So that's kind of what's going on here. And there's a big parade. Everybody's really happy. So the streets are filled with people as David and the high priest and the armies are entering back into the city and they're worshiping God because the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, is returning to the people. So that's what's going on in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Let's start reading in verse 12. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all those, all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. 
And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. So everybody got like meat and then had some cake. All right? <laughs> Verse 20. And David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shameful, shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And then Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. And you see what happened here is that David is so excited as they're entering back into the city. And he had such great joy that he sacrificed the garments that he would normally be wearing as they return from military victory. Normally, when you have the king come back, he's wearing his military garb, right? He wants to portray this idea of we've overcome and we've, we're, we're triumphant and we're coming back in and we're, you know, we've got our swords, we've got our, our, our armor, and we look really strong and mighty. And that would be the traditional way that the king would want to return to be able to celebrate a military victory. But instead, David is wearing a priestly undergarment, it is the undergarment of the priest, uh, that linen ephod, and he's dancing in the streets. He's not riding a horse victoriously with sword in hand, not what everybody would expect. No, he, he's, he's wearing priestly undergarments, and he's dancing because he's responding to something that he is overjoyed about. And it may have looked like this. I found a picture that I thought was maybe close to what maybe it could have looked like. So here he is, dancing around in his underwear. And he's so excited about the Ark of the Covenant coming back into town that he is worshiping God. He, he stops after the priest takes six steps and, and, and offers the sacrifice of an ox right there just to honor God, just, just because he's overjoyed. He's discovered something that has brought such joy in his heart that he has become undignified, as some translations say. And he's become not like what everybody expected, but instead he worshiped God with total abandonment. Do you think a guy who's the king, who's dancing in the streets wearing only a linen ephod, you think he's only excited and trying to please an audience of one? Yeah, I think so. I don't think he's too concerned about what everybody else thinks. And then all of a sudden his wife, Michael, who's not referred to as the king's wife. Did you catch that when we read that scripture? She's not referred to as King David's wife. No, scripture refers to her as what? The daughter of Saul. Why does scripture call her the daughter of Saul in that moment instead of King David's wife? Because as Saul was rebellious towards God, here now David's wife is being rebellious towards God and not grateful for the presence of God returning 
to the people of Israel. Instead, she's more concerned about PR. She's more concerned about how things look. She's more concerned about what everybody thinks. And she's embarrassed that her husband, the king, would dare come through the streets dancing in this way. And she criticizes him about the way that he came in. And David, he got really scared and said, oh, honey, I'm sorry. I'll go put on a robe. Nope. He didn't say that at all, did he? He told her, he said, it was before the Lord that I was chosen as the king over Israel. He said, I'll become even more undignified than this. You think this is weird? Oh, I've got tons of other stuff I've been saving. Like, you think this is extreme? You think this is undignified? He says, I'll become even more contemptible than this. This is not the limit. What is David saying? The presence of God, the, the, the very fact that now they're overjoyed with the return of the Ark of the Covenant. David is saying, I have no limits to what I will do for God. That's what David is saying. Because he's so overjoyed that the presence of God had returned. The presence of God is like a bright light to the darkness of fear. The enemy would love for fear just to create so much darkness in your life, especially during the days that we live in, especially during the times that you and I are facing. There are so many things that the enemy would want to regularly remind you of to keep you afraid, to keep you limited, to keep you from saying yes in your devotion and your servitude to God, to keep you hindered. Because, well, yeah, I'll just wait till everything settles down. I'll, I'll wait till everything gets back to normal. I'll, I'll, I'll wait before I do that thing God's put on my heart or that thing God's opening the door for, the things God's leading me to do. Because, man, it's just not working out for me right now because, man, my, my, my in-laws might think this about me or, 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 my, or my friends might think this about me. And the enemy loves to create darkness around that to make you afraid. Because if you're surrounded by darkness and there's only a a little bit of light, uh, a lot of times we'll just stay where the light is because we don't want to venture out into the unknown. And the enemy loves to create those limits and to create those things in your mind. But here's the thing. If you're a child of God, you are free in Christ. Amen? Amen? You, You are free in Christ. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. In other words, there are no limits in the way you are supposed to worship God, in the way that you are supposed to sacrifice to Him. As Paul said, it should be a joy. It is out of the joy. It's out of the mercy of God. It's out of the understanding of the gospel and the great price that was paid that I am willing to serve Him, live for Him, and love Him without any strings attached or any limits. So, Lord, I will say yes to greater things. I will say yes to the things that you are calling me to, the things you're calling me away from, because I I, I don't want to put limits on my worship. I don't want my worship of God to be driven by fear. I don't want my sacrifice to be something that is controlled by what the enemy would love to put in my way. I want to be like David. I want to be like so overjoyed that the presence of God had returned that, 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 that this Ark of the Covenant was now back in possession of God's people. And, and, and now they're going to be able to worship Him and, and make those sacrifices. And, and they're going to be able to do the things that now they were unable to do. And they're going to be able to just 
to just worship him. And, and man, it, it just got David all kinds of excited. And other people are going to be critical, right? Other people are going to be critical when you decide to say yes to what God is putting in front of you to do. Other people are going to criticize, maybe even, maybe even your spouse. Other people may criticize. David's spouse criticized him for his worship of God. But folks, can I tell you that God, if he tells us to do something, he's putting something in front of us, if he's putting something on our heart, if he's showing us how awesome he is, our response as a living sacrifice should be joyful, it should be obedient, it should be something that we are willing to do uh, intentionally and joyfully. Amen, church? The presence of God is like a bright light to the darkness of fear because fear keeps people in bondage. Fear will make you critical of others who have experienced the joy of the gospel. Have you ever been critical of someone who you see their passion for the Lord and you criticize it? Maybe you'll say something like, oh, that'll wear off. Or, oh man, that person, they really need to learn a few things. They really don't just get it yet. And we want to control them and we want to put limits on them is really what we want to do instead of showing them the truth in God's word, helping them grow, helping them mature, but yet not snuffing out their fire and their passion, still encouraging them to be passionate for the Lord, passionately serving Him, passionately worshiping Him, living for Him with true freedom. But instead, we like to put all of our religious requirements on people. We want to bog people down. We want to weight people down. And that's not what Christ has called us to. It's not like get saved, experience all this joy, and then let the church suck the life out of you. <laughs> that shouldn't be the way that it is, amen? But unfortunately, those things happen. People get wounded. People get hurt. People get uh, 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 put in, in a box and told what they can and can't do to the extreme to where if you're going to be accepted, you need to do everything and think everything I think and do everything my way. And, and man, it just sucks the joy out of serving Jesus for the new Christian instead of walking with people, loving them where they're at and helping them to keep that fire stoked, to sharpen that, to stoke that fire. I love being able to do that. Man, I know I've probably been on both sides of that fence, but I want to be the person who is encouraging someone to grow in the Lord and keep their fire alive. Amen? I don't want to be like Michael, the daughter of Saul. I don't want to be like Michael who, who became critical of other people's passion and their joy in serving the Lord. So here's the bottom line. Here's the main thing, and, and I want you to help me. I'm going to start doing this. If you are a social media user, um, you can share these. These would be a, a, a shareable, if you will. And I want to use this hashtag because every week when I uh, create a sermon, I always come up with a main theme or a big idea, kind of a sermon in a sentence. And you influence people that I don't influence. You know people I don't know. So as you share these truths, as maybe you take a picture of it or you want to type it out or make something pretty on your own, I don't care what you do. But every week I want to share with you a bottom line and I want to share with you this main idea and I want to encourage you to share it with other people and use your influence to be able to communicate these truths. So here's the bottom line this week. Find freedom from fear by focusing on the Father. Find freedom from fear by focusing on the Father. Because if you are a born-again Christ follower, you should be full of joy and free from fear because guess what? 
The greater one now lives in you. He doesn't dwell where the box is anymore. That's what 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says. He says that don't you know that you are the temple of the living God? You have the Holy Spirit within you? Aren't you aware of this? You're bought with a price? Glorify God with your body. In context here, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about remaining sexually pure because sexual immorality was running rampant in their day as a form of idolatry and worship. And Paul is saying, listen, honor God with your body because don't you know that your body now is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So the joy that David experienced over the box, the ark of the Lord returning, guess what? That spirit now dwells in you if you are a born-again Christian, amen? And if you have God's spirit on the inside of you, what type of joy should we be experiencing like David experienced that day over the return of the presence of the Lord? Because we need to get a new idea of the presence of the Lord. I think a lot of people have this Old Testament idea of the presence of the Lord, where the presence of the Lord is something that just kind of fills up the room in the moment and everyone gets all the feels. Listen, the Bible says that, that where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. So guess what? The presence of the Lord is here. The presence of the Lord is here. Here's what we need. We don't need an Old Testament view of God coming down. Instead, what we need is a greater awareness of the fact that the presence of God is here. We need a greater awareness. You need a greater awareness. I need a greater awareness. And if I have that awareness, what's it going to do? The greater awareness I have, the greater awe that I should have. The greater awe that I have, then now I can, like David, worship God without limit, without fear, because the presence of God now dwells on the inside of me. That's how I am marked as one of his kids. Because now the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead it dwells in you it dwells in us that's this whole being born again that's this whole being made alive that's what second corinthians 5 17 is all about if you're a new creation in christ jesus old things have passed away all things have become new it's now not you it's now the spirit of god dwelling in you and anything good that comes out of you is god coming out of you not you and so this is the beauty of being a Christ follower is that we can now find freedom from fear by focusing what? Focusing on God, focusing on the Father. That's what David did. He was not afraid. He was free because he focused on God. He was focusing on his presence. And folks, I tell you, we need a greater awareness that God is with us. It'll change the way we operate. If you live your life with a greater awareness that God is with you, that he's not leaving you or forsaking you, that you don't have to beg him to show up. we got to get away from this Old Testament view of God, where God's behind this curtain, and he hangs out where this box is, and he only comes at certain times and does certain things. No, that's the beauty of what Christ has done. The veil has been torn in two. There is no more veil. That's what Jesus did. The power of what he did on the cross, the veil has been rent. It's torn in two. And now he is, he's with us, he's, he's, he's in us, he, he, he's, he's now present. He's not removed from our daily lives, from the things that you care about, from the things that concern you, from the things he's calling you to and the things he's calling you away from. 
man, if you live with a greater awareness of the presence of God, it'll change your priority. <laughs> it'll change. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> what I'm about to do? Hang on. God's here. <laughs> he's, he's in me. He's with me. His spirit is in me. That changes uh, whether I'm going to say yes to that thing or not. But then it also changes the things that I'm willing to say yes to and the things that I'm willing to say no to because I'm living with a greater awareness of the presence of God. Because now it's, it's that same Spirit. It's, it's dwelling in me. No, don't you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know? That's what Paul's saying. It's going to change. You, you used to say yes to those sexual immoral acts, but now the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Even, your body's a temple, man. What are you doing? It's not about a building anymore. Yeah, it's great that Word of Grace has a building. It's great that we have a pretty front and, 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 and it's looking nice and we move the entrance and, you know, we're painting walls. I love all that. that. That's fun for me. I'm excited about that. But that's not where God lives. It's in you. That's what Scripture says. David was getting excited about where God lived, where the box was. The box is coming back and he's excited and he's willing to endure criticism. But the same idea now is that Christ now has made us new and the Spirit of God dwells on the inside of us and you and I can find freedom from fear by focusing on the Father, focusing, remembering that it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in this flesh, I, I live by faith in the Son of God who died on the cross, who gave himself for me. Amen? We must find freedom from fear by focusing on the Father. Everyone has barriers. Everyone has limits. Things that you will say yes to God about, things you may say no about. The limits and the barriers are there because of fear, but I want to give you this today, and I pray that you hear this message. You are no longer a slave to fear. You are a child of God. Like the song says, I am no longer a slave to fear. In other words, I'm not obligated to be afraid anymore. Before I knew Christ, I was obligated to sin and I was obligated to be in fear. I was obligated because it's what a person who has no hope lives like. They live like they are a slave to fear. They are obligated to it. It is their taskmaster. But if you are a child of God, you are no longer a slave to fear. Amen, church? This is the beauty of being a follower of Jesus Christ. You can find freedom from focusing on the Father. And here's the beautiful thing about this, is that fearless worship is contagious. It's contagious. I remember when I was a youth pastor in Arkansas, when I first started out in youth ministry, I was 18 years old, and I took the group of students to church camp in Tennessee, and when we showed up, our, first of all, the name of our youth group was Firestarters because I like fire and I thought fire and teenagers went well together. So <clears throat> there are other stories about that as well. But we showed up and there's 300 kids maybe there um, at the church camp and the first night service was there. And as the music began to play, 
our youth group, uh, we were kind of known for something. We were uh, a youth group that was full of kids that were passionate for the Lord, and, and we didn't know a lot, man. I mean, we could, goodness, I look back on that, and I'm like, I hope they didn't listen to some of the teachings um, <laughs> that, I, that I taught, uh, but it wasn't that. It was the passion that we had for Jesus, and that group, we always wanted to sit up front, and when we began to worship, when the music began to start, those students began to just dance before the Lord. They'd jump around. They'd get down on their knees and worship. They'd just cry, emotionally expressing their passion and their love for Jesus. And it was just a beautiful thing. But at the beginning of camp that week, um, we were the only group that was doing that. And, and, and we felt a little odd and a little intimidated because it seemed like the majority of the students were rather reserved. And our group was kind of the wild group. But before the end of the week, all 300 kids would come to the front during the praise and worship, and they began to weep and just emotionally express their love and their worship towards God. And that's why we called our group Firestarters. We believed that uh, we were kind of sparking something, and we took that uh, as kind of our moniker there. But this limitless, fearless worship, it's contagious, whether it has to do with songs or whether it has to do with your daily life living it as a sacrifice to God, as you begin to say yes, as you begin to push past the critics, as you begin to push past what is uncomfortable, as you begin to find freedom from fear and you focus on God, you focus on His love for you, you focus on and be in awe of who He is and focus on the gospel. As you begin to find that freedom and experience that freedom, others around you, it will be contagious. Others will experience that freedom as well. Because, man, I'll tell you what, I, uh, my, one of my f most impactful uh, people in my life was, I've told you before, Pastor Randy Gudo, who was just a, a wild man for Jesus. I can't tell you one sermon that he ever preached. I, I just don't remember. I remember something about Samson one time, and Randy said he wanted to grow his hair really long. So I don't know. Um, that's, that's the thing I can maybe pull up the most, and we thought it was funny because he wanted us to lay hands on his head that his hair would grow. Um, and he wanted to work out and get strong. But I think he was just being dumb. Uh, I don't remember really anything that he preached. I, I really don't. You want to know what I remember about Randy? I remember the way he loved Jesus. I remember the way he was passionate about God. It was real. It was authentic. He dedicated his very life. There's no person he was afraid to talk to. There's no thing he wasn't afraid to do that God had put in front of him as uh, an opportunity. He was constantly looking for opportunity because he lived on mission and he lived with a great purpose. And he had an entire youth group full of students who felt the same way not because we understood everything, because we didn't. We, we didn't know a ton. Huh, man, we were really ignorant in a lot of things. But I believe that if your passion and your heart for the Lord is sincere and you are genuinely seeking Him, He will show Himself to you and God will fix those errors and God will help you to grow, especially if you're willing to give up what you believe for the truth and you are able to listen to people who have been down this road a little longer than you have and gone a little further than you have and people who understand some things but at the same time that passion for the Lord is what I remember I remember the way he loved Jesus well I remember being at that church camp with my youth group that first week 
and seeing a group of students who loved Jesus well, who weren't afraid. So I want to encourage you to say yes to greater things. And this week, I want to challenge you to say yes to one thing that stretches you this week, whatever that may be. I don't know what God has put in front of you. Maybe there's some things in your life that are naturally stretching you. How can you trust God more in that situation? What is the opportunity that God's putting in front of you to say yes to? What is the thing that maybe has been on the back burner that maybe you know it's there and you know you're supposed to say yes, but you haven't been saying yes to it? I want to encourage you this week to step out in faith and to say yes to greater things, to take that limit off, take that barrier. Don't let the enemy win. Don't let that darkness overcome you. You're free. And I want you to live that freedom, church. I want you to experience that freedom in Christ. I want you to know that it's real. And, and each one of us have a responsibility. Each one of us have, have an opportunity, a calling. Every one of us do. And as we let our light shine, man, it begins to be contagious and catch. Wouldn't that be great to let a passion for God to catch? We don't like using the word contagious right now. It's not a popular word to use. I don't want to hinder the presence of God. I don't want to I don't, I don't, I don't wanna hinder what he's doing in my life and in me and through me because I'm afraid. The enemy would love for nothing more than that. But he who the Son set free is free indeed. That means you're free. You're, you're, you're so free it's ridiculous. You just don't know. You, all these limitations, all these things that have been roadblocks for you, that have kept you from saying yes to greater things. It's time for those things to go. It's time for us re to return to that first love. If you've been following Jesus for a long time and you've kind of dried up a little bit and you just don't feel that passion you used to feel, you're not, you, don't, you don't wake up with your heart and your mind set on Jesus like you used to when you were younger, when you had, first got saved, became a Christian, I'm going to encourage you to do what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy. He said, stir up the gift that's on the inside of you. How do you stir up the gift that's on the inside of you? You step out in faith and you do what it is God's telling you to do. David said, there's no limits. I'll become more indignified than this. I'm so passionate for God. I don't care what others think. I'm going to move around the things in my schedule. I'm going to make it a priority. David sacrificed his kingly garments and came in wearing the linen ephod of a priest as he's ushering in this presence of the Lord. And there's going to be critics. There's going to be people that are going to try to stop you. There's going to be people who are going to criticize you. But I just want to encourage you to be a person who seeks the Lord and who is living your life without limits in the way that you worship God. The only one that we should fear is the Lord because even Jesus himself said, don't be afraid of man. What can man do to you? He can kill the body, but he has no say-so over the soul. Jesus said, instead, fear God. Fear God who has say so over both your body and your soul. Like if we're going we're gonna to have fear, let, let's live with that healthy, righteous fear towards God, not towards man. It's the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is. But man, the fear of man, it's, it's just leading us down a path to try to please man, and it's limiting the way we worship God. And church, I want to see us live with freedom. So what's one thing that requires you to intentionally sacrifice your comfort. One thing this week. 
Write it down. Share it with a friend. Share it with a spouse. Let them encourage you. Say yes to that greater thing. And let your worship be fearless. God, help us to find freedom by focusing on you. Help us to live that freedom out because he who the Son has set free is free indeed, and we want to live that freedom. We can only do this, Lord, through your Spirit, through your Word, strengthening us, encouraging us, chastising us even, bringing us to a place where we want to walk in the liberty that you truly have bought and paid for on the cross not being hindered by man's opinion, not being hindered by the social structure of our society, not being hindered by what society deems as okay or not okay, not being dictated by the pressures of this world, but Lord, by our love and our awe for you and by your scriptures and how we can honor you and serve you and present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Lord, help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.